Welcome to White Noise Season 2 Hey Josh Hey Blacko What do you call a Frenchman in sandals? Um, Poisson <laughs> Flip flop. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Like flip flop. <laughs> yeah. Like the, like the shoes. So this is this should really come with a caveat with the shout out to the show of uh, Kazemia Lim. I got reminded of this last year. So not last year. At some point during the week, and I noted it down. Uh, but during my time as SR, you remember how I had the joke? Of, I had my residents bring joke of the week. Mm-hmm. I do remember. It was a so, sad time. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. My floor loved it. Uh, <laughs> Amelia Amelia brought in this as her joke. And Kazzy happened to be just like, because Kazzy came to a few of our pod meetings because he could. Uh, and Kazzy literally cried at this joke um, for like five minutes. And I'm glad I'm telling you about his reaction before, after telling the joke, because it would like it would be so bad for me to say here's this incredible joke and then you were just like oh okay what <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, but this is a shout out to Kazemi Lim. i just wanted to hit him again with that classic joke because it's i know it's his personal favorite and and look it's up there for me too you're welcome kazi shout out if you're listening yeah. all right josh the title of this segment is we are old well, hold on. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, actually, I, later on, I will be speaking for myself in this segment, but sure. Um, so, Celine was telling telling us, you're aware of the fellas as, uh, as, as a group. Celine was telling the fellas a story about how she was doing speech therapy with a kid, right? And apparently she just offhand referenced Finding Nemo. As and you do, a very famous film. Exactly. Uh, and the kid had never seen Finding Nemo. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Which is, which is like, yeah, like, look, uh, that, is, that is what it is. But she did, at this point, the discussion turned to the fact that Finding Nemo came out in 2003. So, yes. you, know, you know, I realized that's, it technically came out in May 2003, which means that there are now adults, people who are legal adults who were born after Nemo came out, right? People who were born between May and September 2003 are now legally adults, but were born after finding Nemo was released. I, I can see why you find this shocking, but I do not find this shocking because this year I live with a whole bunch of these people. And let me tell you, the proportion of people in this building that are younger than Shrek is too scary for me. <laughs> when did Shrek come out? 2001. The majority of this building was born after Shrek came out. Oh, okay. Wait, who made Shrek, Shrek by the way? DreamWorks. DreamWorks. Oh, okay. So that's an even a much better version of the research that I did because... 
I've realized, like after realizing this now, adults who were born after Nemo came out, I went back and had a look at the films that came out, the list of Disney films that came out between our birth and September 2003. And like, yeah, I, I wanted to hit you with the films that are shocking that like there are now legal adults who are born after they came out, but we were born before they came out so that we can do this, this same thing. Yeah. Toy Story uh, 2. Toy Story 2 is the first one. It came out not a very early. So it's Toy Story 2. Yep. The can, I guess, can I guess them? Oh, you want to say, okay. So for context, there's about like 30 or 40 because the number of films that are technically Disney films is huge. Yeah, is, um, I've, I've picked out like uh, seven, what I would say are classics. Yeah. So they're like Disney or Pixar. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. See, now I've said that I'm going to do this, but now I'm actually like, oh, hang on. Which which movies were? Oh, the oh, is the Incredibles on that list, or is the Incredibles after 2003? The Incredibles is after 2000. It's 2004. Yeah. So I think it's. Oh, it's Monsters you, Inc. Monsters Inc. Yeah, Monsters Inc. is in there. Yeah. But I think it might be better if I just hit you with the list because I think we otherwise we're going to have like. 60 seconds of Josh going, ah, uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm just imagining our listeners, they're like, you know, maybe it's friend of the show, Caspian, like uh, going through a walk around Lake Junidera and he's just getting 60 seconds of Josh going, ah. That's true. That's true. All right. Hit, hit me with the list. Hit Although, if you're, lis- if you're listening, if you want to, I, I also like the idea of remixing uh, the pauses while we think on these guessing games. <laughs> I did have a suggestion like a- for uh, someone gave me a suggestion for the edits of the podcast, which is um, so sometimes you take out the ums that we that we have the ums and the ahs. Someone said at the end of every podcast you should just put all of those ums and ahs, so that if you reach the end you just get um 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 ah ah and then the podcast ends. <laughs> That's brilliant. I've actually stopped taking out. This is this is turned into a huge revelation, by the way, for the listeners who didn't know. I've actually stopped taking out the ums, and I've just been focusing on the pauses. And t- tell you what, listeners, something that you wouldn't realize, but particularly during the weekly word, when like I asked Josh about the 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 uh, the meaning of the word, about twenty percent of that segment gets cut because it's just <laughs> just going ah. Uh... <laughs> Because it's the most efficient way to edit is just to look for those ah uh, and the pause afterwards. But that's right. That was a little bit of a behind the curtain, and that and I, I was literally saying to Josh beforehand. I feel like I'm trying to like make this more efficient, so I'm probably going to do less editing this week. So this will probably stay in. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Cool. Let's well, let's just move on from that grand revelation. Um, Having actually, I, I did also drag up the DreamWorks one and between the, I'll do the DreamWorks one as well. Oh, because purely because of the film that came on June 23rd, 2000, because that is a, that is a national treasure, uh, but it's not national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. National treasure I, 2005. Pretty sure. Actually, I'm pretty to, sure. National treasure. Do you want to have a guess the month? As well. Uh, well, did I get 2005 correct? No, nah, it's 2004. Yeah, uh, there we go. The month. Pretty good. It, it would have been a summer blockbuster, so it would have been July. It was November 2004. Uh... So you were actually 
pretty close, right? Like that's like, you know, closer to 2005 than summer 2004. Anyway, yeah, we've gotten sidetracked. So the films that Disney released between our birth and those who are now adults. So keep in mind, there are now adults who live who weren't born for these are Toy Story 2, as we've mentioned. Then The Emperor's New Groove. Of course. course. Which is an absolute banger. Now, the Atlantis, the Lost uh, World film, I I haven't actually seen Atlantis, but I want to watch it. There's a couple in here that I actually haven't seen, which I do feel bad about, but I was also like, I've included because I just know from being someone our age that they're classics. Monsters, Inc. Yep. Lilo and Stitch. Oh, of course, of course. Treasure Planet. Yep. And Nemo. And Nemo. Really? Yeah, those are the bangers that came out after our birth and between our birth in September 2003. I thought there would have been another Pixar one, but I guess I was wrong. Oh, those are only Disney ones. I haven't gone to the Pixar ones yet. Well, Monsters, Inc. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Those are the Disney Pixar big ones. Yeah. 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 There's uh, the, the DreamWorks ones. But the, we, those films are the films that we can say to people, wow, you're so young, you weren't even born when X came out. And we can say that without the risk of them being like, hang on, you weren't born either. Mm. Yeah. But the other ones, and those are specifically the legal adults. And if we hop over to DreamWorks, uh, it's The Road to El Dorado, which was... DreamWorks has a lot less films, by the way, so I can even just go straight through them. But June 23, 2000, Chicken Run. Chicken, there is no chicken run what oh yes chicken okay. run yeah no, no i was getting get confused with disney's chicken movie and chicken little oh, chicken little yeah. okay can we, no, can we just run, say yeah, as the yeah. can we just say as the um also i just opened the chicken run uh wikipedia page and the first thing is a poster with the caption this ain't no chick flick um yeah which is that, the was a, that was the slogan that's pretty good can, can i just say I, I would like to propose that as the podcast, we advocate for Chicken Run as the better chicken film over Chicken Little. I don't think that is a controversial opinion at all. <laughs> I don't think anyone likes Chicken Little. I, well, we've talked, you've talked about Chicken Little on the podcast without me here before. That's you talked true. about it with, um, with Tiff and Callum. Mm. But Chicken Run, I just like, like I have talked with uh, people in my academic research group about the film Chicken Run, as in like, was I've talked with like you know a proper paid academic who wanted to rewatch Chicken Run. I'm pretty sure Chicken Run we've talked about on the podcast before. Yeah, because we did it in 20 questions. Yes. Like I am someone who dislikes rewatching films. I would rewatch Chicken Run. Like Chicken you know, I Run. I've watched is... Chicken Run in a while. Maybe I'll rewatch Chicken Run. Maybe. <laughs> maybe next. You know maybe next episode should just be a Chicken Run themed episode. <laughs> <laughs> I look, uh, Josh. I'm noting it down. Yeah, <laughs> themed episode. I could so get around that the chicken, the or or we just do um like an episode where we just uh, live stream us watching Chicken Run simultaneously over Zoom. Oh yeah, I think we'd get taken down for copyright, but I, I like the I like the idea. As long as we don't play the video or the audio, right? So if we just sit there with our headphones in. Yeah, who's uh, going to watch that? <laughs> no, but they watch our... Or we watch it with the listeners. 
Yeah, or so we could do we, do we could do that, but then like edit it down a bit so that it, it would it could just be our, our best best reactions, and then it would be like a you know a thirty minute, forty minute episode. I don't know how much you're reacting to a film, Josh, but this is only an eighty four minute film, so you're having to have like every two seconds a a pretty decent reaction to Chicken yeah. Run. It's a pretty good it's a pretty good eighty four minutes though. So uh, yeah, it wouldn't that surprise is- me if every <laughs> if we do have that amount. While we're while we're on this tangent, have you played the Chicken Run video game? Oh, I have not, but I've heard very good things. I would like to say. Oh, apparently, like you know how the whole thing is that like Chicken Run is uh, it can be interpreted as like a metaphor for the Holocaust. Mm. Um, like the Chicken Run video game Wikipedia page literally just does not even hide that. It's like it's the game is a loose parody of the thing. It like it's. It's a, it says the video game is based on the 2000 film of the same name. And then the next sentence is the game is a loose parody of the famous movie, The Great Escape, which is based on World War II. Uh, and so like it's, that's the, the, the play, I think the PlayStation one is literally just like, they go even stronger than the film. And it's just like, it's a World War II game, but about chickens in the chicken farm. This section of the game features stealth gameplay, not too different from Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I like that you're also researching this this video game. Maybe we could do a that's 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 an that's another option. A you know how we've we've made dumb jokes about like doing like let's plays of like oh yeah yeah we should and stream that, we should stream Chicken Run us the playing video game run. not the movie us us playing Chicken Run that's, yeah yeah we could do playing. that we can actually one hundred percent do that it wouldn't even be that hard that's that's incredible let's. You'll know when we're da- listeners. If that happens, you'll know that we're down on content that week. Um, <laughs> but also, I would, I would love to. I, I'm also going to not read the article too much because I don't want to spoil the rest of it. But yeah. Anyway, should we tangent back from our um, our love of Chicken Run? But yeah, I did. <laughs> chicken Chicken Run is a friend of the show. Chicken he, Run's not just a friend. Chicken Run's a lover of the show. <laughs> Chicken Run is Chicken Run is the is is the lover of the show. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna note that down in the friends of the show note bit on my phone, and then I'll forget about it, and we'll get back to that point in a few in a few episodes times. I'll be like, why is why is that the lover of the show? Uh, also, what I do find fascinating about the DreamWorks uh, Wikipedia page, unlike the Disney one, is that the DreamWorks one has the Rotten Tomato scores of these films. Um, oh, which does take it. So Chicken Run, Rotten Tomato score of 97%. Pretty good. And then the subsequent film, Shrek, 88%. And I would like to point out uh, for, for the un- uneducated people like my parents who think that Shrek is better than Shrek 2, Shrek 2 has a Rotten Tomato score of 89%, which is higher than Shrek 1. That's true, but critic scores aren't always correct, you know. The, but they they are correct when they're right, as they are exactly. in this case. Exactly. But sometimes they, they're wrong, but in this but, case they're right. But in this case they're definitely right. Shrek two is, but Shrek is, dude. There's going to be people born in May in, next in May nineteenth next year. Shrek two becomes an illegal adult. Yeah. Wow. We should. We should celebrate. Also, this is uh, 
um, Shrek 2, so Shrek 1 came out May 18th, 2001. Shrek 2 came out May 19th, 2004. They got that timing pretty good. Uh, it's because it'll be, that'll be the, like, weekend opening. Oh, uh, which you is why. I mean? Shrek, like, that's why all, that's, all those major yeah. films target, like, one specific weekend to open. Like, like in Australia, like, the Boxing Day release, you know, the 26th oh, of December, yeah. there's always, like, Shrek, a million films yeah. that open so Tell i imagine what, they, yeah they timed this if you look at the timing they did this so may 18 2001 shrek 1 may 19 2004 shrek 2 again three exactly three years later may 18 2007 shrek 3 and then may 19 2010 is sorry may 21 2010 is shrek 4 like that's they they pump us out at such a good rate and Shrek 5, soon to come. And they didn't release a film in May 2013, which clearly that's when things started going down, down downhill. But yeah, anyway, the, the DreamWorks films that came out in that nice little window between our birth and the birth of people who are now adults. The other one is Spirit, the Stallion of the Cimarron. Oh, classic, uh, classic. I've not actually seen that. Oh, you're missing out. There's a whole I'm Netflix show as well. Oh, and then also Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, mm. which, again, I've not seen. But how I thought I'd be, because I'm impressed at how well we've tangented here, Josh. We've done very good. Um, but this whole game of, like, people who are legal adults who we can say, you weren't born when X came out. I can, of course, do this to you, right? Because I'm a few months older than you. And well, it, yeah, that's true. You are old. I am old, and and Josh, you're really young. So no no DreamWorks films, no DreamWorks films came out in '99 at all. But there were two Disney films that came out between your birth and my my birth and your birth. Uh, Josh, I can't believe that you were born after Tarzan came out. You're so young. That's true. That's true. Hey, Josh, you were born after Inspector Gadget came out. You're oh, so really? Yeah, I knew that would get you. Inspector Gadget was also, like, it's also right on the deadline in terms of, I'm just getting up to the specific date. Oh, wait, Inspector Gadget was a TV series before it was a movie? Yeah, Inspector Gadget, that's its main thing. Was that a 90s TV show? Actually, 80s TV show, according to this thing. I am am shook because I've seen the film that came out you know, before you were born. Uh, my 20... <laughs> <laughs> I like how you you say that, implying that you saw it when you were, like, two months old or whatever. Well, my brother saw Titanic when he was, like, three months old. So, like, you know... Um, wow, that's a bold film to show <laughs> a young on. Maybe it wasn't that... Yeah, Titanic came out in 97, and my brother also came out in 97. <laughs> he was released on October 20th. <laughs> My brother was, yeah, my brother was, was released on October 24th, 97, and Titanic was released in December 97. So my brother would have only been a couple of months old. Wow. Explains um, a lot, probably, having also, never met your brother. My, it, it came out a month and a half earlier in Tokyo, Titanic. Yeah, it makes sense. Like the biggest film of all time. Why would it come out a month and a half earlier in, to- in Tokyo? Um... Because you see, All right, when you're, films you're... are released, 
Ah, uh, it was it was premiered at the Tokyo International Film Festival. That's right. I was actually going along. I was actually going to say, oh, it's a film festival, but then I was like, no, that's silly. Like, why would why would they show that at a film festival? And I was like, oh, actually, they did show it at a film festival. Apparently, the apparently the reaction to Titanic was at the Tokyo International Film Festival was described as tepid by the New York Times. Yeah, that makes so sense. They, it's not really the sort of film that like you would show at a film fest. Like imagine if um, like Avengers Endgame got shown at a film festival. Josh, I hate to break it to you. I know you've been to Greece, but not all of us have been to film festivals. No, but not even all like... Of, not Cairns, all of us have Cairns had our work showed at film festivals, you absolute snob. But wow, even like Cairns... Goes to Greece once. <laughs> Must be nice. Wait, no, sorry. You went to Greece twice. I, in, I did. Like within a few months of each other. Must be nice. Uh, Must be very, but even very like Cairns nice. or I think like Toronto is a, is another big one. Are you just listing all the film festivals you've gone to now? No, no, I'm saying like <laughs> they're all they're all like really niche kind of whack films that they they get shown there. Not well, the like the, big blockbuster ones. The audience of the Tokyo International Film Festival must have missed a trick because, like, you know. They describe one of the best films of all time as tepid. Well, that's the I thing. Is it been, one of the best films of all time? Actually, like, it's I've one of the highest the grossing film. films of all time. But I don't know that, like, it's necessarily one of the best films just because it's one of the highest grossing. Yeah, that's, don't necessarily I mean, go I, hand in hand. I also can't say it's one of the best films because I've not actually seen the full film. Um, I'd say I've basically seen all of it except the saucy bits. So, um, because I think my parents were watching it and I walked in just stuff the saucy bits happen or i left just before those happen and then i think in school we watched the bits after the saucy bits happen i've missed like i i've only really seen like the beginning and end i the whole you know boring romance arc and all that like stuff that my brother shouldn't have seen when he was only a few months old i've not seen that um maybe i'll ask him to see if he remembers from when he was like two months old so you just talked about a whole bunch of films and now, is this when you turn around and say you're going to talk about a bunch of films? Well, not a bunch of films. I'd like to talk about one film in particular, though. Oh, gosh, which I is, hope it's a film I've seen. No, well, you haven't. Well, I doubt. Actually, maybe you have because I haven't seen it yet but, because but it's only just released. Ju- before and you I'm jump not going it, anywhere. I really, I really hope it's uh, Dead Poets Society because we finished watching that last night. And so it'd be really good timing if that's the film you're going to talk about. Unfortunately, not. No. <laughs> I suppose Dead Poets Society did not recently get released. Um, it's, I want to talk about Dune. Oh! Um, okay, so I've not seen Dune or read Dune, but uh, both Dingley and M are like like racing listening to the audiobooks of this or something like that. And whilst coming back from my road trip with Dingley, I did a bunch of Dune, asked him a bunch of Dune trivia questions. Um I'm just going to jump in and tell you everything I know about June. The oh, other please thing... do. This is great because I actually just finished the first book yesterday in preparation for the movie and I was going to uh-huh. like just talk about June. But now that I know you know some vague stuff about June based on this trivia stuff, now I'm really curious to hear what you're going to say about it and then we oh. can actually have a discussion about it even though only one of us has actually read it. Oh, as in the only thing I was going to add beyond the fact that I've done trivia is that uh, I've watched the trailer and I'm just quite excited but. Timothy Chalamet because I love that man. I mean, the, the cast is stacked for June. That's the 
do you want to give the listeners a rundown of what happens in June and whilst I pull up a cast list? Sure. Um, so June, my description of June would be that it's a bit like Game of Thrones, but set in outer space. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of political intrigue. There's a big rebellion. There's an underdog story. Um, a whole bunch of, you know, the sorts of interplay that goes on with dukedoms and, um, you know, marriages to get power and all that kind of stuff. Um, so even though it's a science fiction novel, it's set in outer space, there's spaceships, um, there's all this futuristic kind of technology. It's also very fantasy in that everything is still, even though it's set in the far future, it's still an empire with a whole bunch of dukes and um, witches, even though they're not called witches in the story. Although they kind of are suggested to be witches in the story, but they're not, uh, they're witches through science, not through um, like random mystical powers. Um, so it's kind of about very much day, at that intersection of sci-fi and fantasy where it's got a science fiction setting, but a fantasy um, world basically. Um, and it's set around House Atreides, which is the main family, um, and particularly their son, Paul, who can see into the future. And I have to say, there's nothing that kind of zapped me out of the world of this book more than the like main characters being called Paul and Jessica and everyone else in the book having cool futuristic names like <laughs> Gurney or Stilgar and all that kind of stuff. And then there's Paul. And you're kind of like, <laughs> Paul, of all things? You got yeah, all these looking, cool names and then you just like, Paul? Duncan. Jason Momoa plays a Duncan. That's true. That's true. There is a Duncan. I feel like even Duncan's kind of a old-timey name. Paul just feels like, I don't know. I, maybe I just don't like the name Paul. <laughs> Shout out to any Pauls who are listening. Yeah, um, sorry about that. <laughs> have you... The other thing is, do you know much about the... I know one of the issues with... Uh, Dune, because there was a Dune film that was released in like the 70s or 80s. Uh, was that, there was, I know there's an issue with maybe it was that one with the cast being whitewashed. Um, like, do you, like I, I, all I know is there was some, maybe it was that film or maybe it was the recent one. Um, I don't know much about this. Do you know much about it? If uh, um, I haven't, I haven't watched the film, um, the yeah. 1981. Um, like, we won't get into it if we don't know the details. No. But, like, um, but yeah, I like all I know is there was an old one. But in terms of the cast list for the current one, um, so Paul Atreides is played by Timothy Chalamet, God Amongst Men. Uh, and then I don't actually know who Rebecca Ferguson is, but she plays the lead Lady Jessica. Has Rebecca Ferguson been in anything else? Yeah, she w- she's been in the recent Mission Impossible movies. Ah. Uh, and then Zendaya, who stars with Tom Holland in the Spider-Man, and then she was also Greatest Shonen. She's also in it. What else yeah. is Zendaya's on a lot? Um, uh, well, she's also she was like a Disney a Disney Channel kid. Really? Yeah. I I mean I can't remember. I don't think I ever watched the Disney Channel, so that's my da- downfall there. But uh, Oscar Isaac is also he's in the House of Trades. Um, uh, then there's also Stellan Skarsgård, who. I feel like the only thing I can remember him from is being in like the Avengers franchise as the uh, as the scientist. Uh, 
Yes. He's a physicist. Um, but I feel like he must have been in something else. He also looks like one of my friend's dads, I reckon. Well, um, Stellan Skarsgård is the father of another Skarsgård who plays Pennywise in It. Really? Yeah. Oh, you know where I've seen him in before? He's in Mamma Mia. Yes, he is. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he's also in Good Will Hunting. Yes. Have you seen Good Will Hunting? I've seen parts of it. So Good Will Hunting was, um, was uh, like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I'm pretty sure the story behind it is... It's their first, they, it was their first movie together. They basically... Well, they came up... They wrote the script, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the idea behind Good Will Hunting is like these two, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, who are now like both big names. Um, yeah, they wrote it. They basically had this idea... Uh, we were a bunch of nobodies and went and uh, there you go. Matt Damon was writing it as an assignment for class. He was okay, at Harvard, what a nerd. Um, and then basically the two of them uh, took this script uh, and I think like went to Robin Williams or something like that. And, um, and or they went to someone and was like, can you make this film? Like the story behind it's really interesting. Like yeah, it's well, got a $10 you know, million one of the budget and made $225 million. The one of the funny things about Goodwill Hunting is that like some way into the script, the script that they sent off to all the um film studios was a very graphic sex scene between the two main characters that was only in there so that they could know whether the studios they sent it off to actually read the script or not. Because if anyone came back to them and didn't mention the the graphic sex scene that just randomly appears halfway through the script. They knew that the studio hadn't actually read the script and they could reject them. Ah, that's really clever. Damn. As in, but like, because I, I thought it was these two guys really desperate for a break, so I thought they would just take whoever came to them, but they actually only wanted people who had properly read the script. That's quite, quite clever. Yeah. Well, I think it probably like a mix of both. Like it's a, still wanting that artistic integrity, but also... Um, wanting to get the the film off the ground but not wanting it to get off the ground if it's just going to get like butchered yeah no that's quite clever um this we'll keep that in mind for when you and i together write a film (laughs) script and we send it off to a bunch of a bunch of studios yeah who is the matt damon who's the ben affleck out of the two of us um I don't, I don't know this comparison. Well, one, look, one of them is Matt, and I'm Matt, so, you know. That's true. <laughs> yeah, he's... Oh, and also, Stellan Skarsgård's been in freaking Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, he has. That's right. See? He's been in everything. Yeah. Eric Selvig is his name in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Yes. What a legend. And there you go. And he's set to star in the Dune series. In sorry, in Dune and Andor series, uh, I don't know what Andor is. Oh, that's a it's a prequel to Rogue One. There you go. Some guys. Uh, then there's there's David Dastmalchian, who again looks familiar, but I don't know who he is. Uh, but yeah, David Dastmalchian, Dave Bautista, who plays um, he's someone. Dave Bautista plays one of the Avengers. He plays Avengers. Drax. Guardians of the Galaxy, and he's also been in the James Bond films recently. And there's also um, 
Well, speaking of, of Drax, Josh Brolin, who plays Thor, uh, not Thor, <laughs> Thanos is also in it. Not yeah. Vicky, uh, and there's a couple of those, like, Javier Bardem, who I feel like I've seen something is in it, and Jason Momoa, um, who's the, like, who's Aquaman and that rip dude from Game of Thrones. Yeah. is. Jason Momoa is, like, all I know is that he's, like, the hot dad, as in terms of, like, he is, like, he's the absolutely ripped guy, but he also is, like, is really lovely with his kids. Oh, um, that's nice. That's all I know about Jason Momoa, really, having, having also seen Aquaman. But anyway, now that we've gone through the cast list of June, how are you feeling having read the book and being about to jump into watching the film? Yeah, well, good. I mean, I probably won't be able to watch the film for a while now, sadly. Um, but I, like, I, I, saw, I watched the trailer at the start of the year, like when one came out, and I was like, all right, this looks interesting. Now I've read the book and I've gone and watched like another trailer that, that came out. And I've gone, oh, I actually understand what's going on now. And so I think that's going to be good for me. But then I also kind of go, if you haven't read the books, is this movie going to make any sense whatsoever? Uh, and I suspect maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? Is it because it, it sounds like it's... So my experience when I was doing this trivia with Dingley is that it's a very complicated world. Um, yeah, 100%. And I have the suspicion that if you're not familiar with the world that being said like i i'm just trying to think of good examples so for example like harry potter is something that has like a complicated world oh i suppose the difference is they're being exposed to the world um and so they the, the thing harry potter does well is that because these characters are being introduced to the world you're being introduced to the world at the same time maybe a closer analogy having not seen this film myself would be lord of the rings um yeah uh, like yeah lord of the rings are, very, are compared a lot um yeah. Yeah. So it's that um, thing of like, so your prediction is, so someone like me was probably not going to read the book before seeing the film. Do you reckon I might get be a bit thrown off because there's just so much world going on? I think so. And I think it's going to be worse than Lord of the Rings because I think Lord of the Rings, even if you don't read the book, the movie still makes sense because it's actually quite a basic plot at the at its core it's quite simple um you know what i mean there's a, there's, yeah yeah there's a big bad guy somewhere who's sending more bad guys after the main cast and if he gets the ring he wins so don't let him get the ring and destroy the ring that's quite a basic yeah. premise for a film and Whereas even if you think about is, the fact like if you think about the fact the the language of lord of the rings is like when you talk about say things like orcs and dwarves and stuff like like the a lot of the mythical characters are things that have permeated into pop culture yeah, um definitely. both as a concept of general fantasy but also as a consequence of lord of the rings uh, because it's been around so long people are very aware of the pop culture of it in pop culture um whereas dune like this whole thing about the house of trades and like being able to see into the future like it just feels like game of thrones and game of thrones seems intimidating so yeah, but even like I think the good thing about Game of Thrones as a media form is that because it's a TV show, yeah. you have time to process everything that's going on. You know what I mean? You get you watch an episode and then you have a week to kind of uh, process and talk with everyone else about what's going on. With June, where you have two and a half hours to try and communicate everything that's going on in this world effectively while telling the story, I think that's a big a big task. And also mm. because it's science fiction, I think it is going to look incredible, especially based on the trailer shots. But then I think that 
a lot of films that look incredible also tend to not make a lot of sense. Um, thinking of like 2001 A Space Odyssey or even Interstellar, you know what I mean? They very flashy films that kind of... Uh, well, the problem with Interstellar is that they they, they had a, a rubbish plot twist right at the end. No, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, that's that's part of it, right? Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really make a lot of sense at the end, even though it looks very cool. Yeah. I would I would actually even argue, and obviously this is biased because I've come from a science education standpoint, but uh, when I actually first learned general relativity, we actually, like, it was kind of like we watched clips from Interstellar because they kind of, they do step you through it a little bit. And yeah. it's interesting, I suppose, if you think about sci-fi that's done well over the years, it's sci-fi where there's characters or sci-fi or fantasy it's where you have ca- either you have a very simple basic idea like Lord of the Rings, or you have characters who are introduced into an unf- the whilst the in- environment is unfamiliar to the viewer, it's also unfamiliar to one of the characters, and so there's an excuse to explore it. So something like um, I, this is not the best example, but Avatar, um, as in the blue people, the Navi and stuff like that, uh, like not an incredible film. But you kind of feel like you know what's going on because you're you're given this perspective of this character who's also unfamiliar with the world. Yeah, it's all framed from a human perspective, even though the Where, world itself yeah. is unfamiliar. Whereas Dune sounds like it's it's a not got a simple goal, and b because even when I was doing the trivia questions with Dingley, I was like, what is going on with this like? grand wizard thing that he's meant to become or something like that yep, yep. um like the basic just the plus that i've got is that like there's this like destiny that he's meant to become like some grand wizard or something like that yeah um uh and it's like figuring out who's going to be the grand wizard and this but like does he want that destiny like it's kind of like it's a little bit of a confusing uh a confusing thing yeah and then like but at the same time he's also familiar with the world so you don't have the so for example a good example of a of a story uh where you've got a character who uh has a more complicated goal with a uh with an analogous thing of a grand destiny is say the percy jackson series right mm. um but again not that, that, they were... that has the uh... they were terrible films um Oh, no, but I was going to say that's, again, uh, a world where you're brought into you're it with a character who exactly, has no experience. Exactly. It's the only analogs I can think of places that do it well. Yeah, a character that's brought into it. So it's basically the point that we're getting to that you having read the book and me having not read the book but being arrogant enough to try and make deductions about something he hasn't seen uh, is the conclusion that we're coming to is that we think June is going to be a confusing film. Uh, I mean, I think that might be a bit harsh. I mean, I... Like I think the like the basic story of Dune is also not that complicated. It's basically a revenge story. Um, so like it's actually not that complex of a of a story within itself. But there's so many layers to it that I think it will get lost in them. And I think it's hard. It's a very hard book to adapt based on what I read because like I just finished it yesterday, and so much of the book is. Uh, what's going on in characters' heads, or um, like I think it would make a very good TV show because there's so many things going on at once and on different planets that I think it would make sense as a long form piece of content because you can 
swap between all these different parts of the world easily and kind of drop mm-hmm. in with all the moving parts that are happening. Whereas in a movie, I'm kind of like, are you, I don't really know how they're going to focus on that because I imagine they're just going to focus on kind of one main story, but then how is all those other moving parts going to come in or is it just going to be kind of thrown into it at the end? You know, is the benefit though. We're going to, if it does have a lot about characters' internal thoughts, that means we're going to have a lot of like steamy shots of Timothy Chalet deep in thought, like looking with that sexy face of his. And no matter how confusing the rest of the movie is, that'll make it worth watching. <laughs> Yay! All right, Josh. Let's talk about Narnia. Right, My brain book. said that I love it. Another, another book where we're sticking very heavily in this pop culture area today, aren't we? Let's. So I want to ask you a question about this. What order do you reckon? Order do you reckon the books of Narnia should be read in? Because I don't know if we've talked about this. I think we've talked about it in this podcast before, but it's something that I'm pretty sure I remember you having thoughts about. Yeah. Uh, so I read the Narnia books last year. Um, I read them in publication order. Mm-hmm. which I do think is the best order. Uh, or at least it was the one I read. I mean, I haven't reread them in any other order. I do think it made sense for me to read them in publication order. Um, I know other people will probably, might disagree, but um, that's my and that's my opinion. So I've actually got my chart because I, when I was little, uh, my dad read to me and my brother the entire Chronicles of Narnia because for when I, for like my fourth or fifth birthday, we got this like huge book that had all of them in there. Um, and even when we were both old enough to be reading ourselves, we would still, dad would still read this. It was just this tradition that dad would read to us. Uh, and I've pulled it up here. I've got, and, and the order in which it appears in this book is The Magician's Nephew, Then The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, The Horseman's Boy. Yeah, and that's, that's chronological. So that's not publication order. That's the the order in which they happen within the Narnia universe, right? Yes, yes. Right. Okay. So the reason I bring this up is how passionate about are you about this feeling of the order in which Narnia should be read in? Uh, I'm not that passionate because, like, I, I haven't read the other way, so I don't know what that's like um, in, in the other sense. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a bit unfair for me to say, oh, this way is the best way to read it because I haven't actually read it in the other the other way um yeah, well part of this part of this whole thing was like josh i wanted you to be really passionate in one particular stance so can you pretend to be really passionate about none years can only be read in publication order or only in chronological order and anyone who thinks otherwise is dumb yeah yeah i can i can play that part why not? all right play that, play that part <laughs> so the reason i bring this up josh is i was i listened to a bunch of other podcasts you know it's, it's like reading the literature being aware of what's going on and I was listening to one called No Such Thing as a Fish. Uh, and the way that podcast works is a bunch of people bring up some fun facts. And in the most recent episode, they actually talk about this. Uh, and, in, and indeed, as we've mentioned, there's various different ways of not, that Narnia can be published. And like they're kind of like the, the most, the kind of the common divide that seems to be there is that uh, either A, they're you read them in the order in which they were published, like you did, or B, you read them in the chronological order, i.e. the the order they happen within the universe. 
So Magician's Nephew is often considered to be like a prequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Yep. Uh, and so, Josh, which one do you prefer? <laughs> oh, I, I just love publication order. And <laughs> I think anyone that says otherwise should go get their brain checked. <laughs> so obviously we're having a bit of a laugh here, but apparently like this is a thing that literary scholars, like people who are being paid money by expensive universities genuinely have lots of big debates about. Um, yeah, I can see that. Uh, and like the people like argue about this a lot. Uh, but the, the fact that was brought up in the show is that the, the way they framed it, which I think is a little bit, it's almost like a little bit clickbaity. But basically the person came out and said, there is no correct way to read the lion, the, sorry, to read the Chronicles of Narnia. And that's because uh, C.S. Lewis actually has no recorded preference for the order in which you read it. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Yeah, and it turns out... Oh, sorry, I mean, I mean, no, C.S. Lewis was wrong and he should have gone and gotten his brain checked. <laughs> well, because it turns out... So the only thing we know about his preference is in 1957, uh, an 11-year-old boy wrote to him uh, because the 11-year-old boy was having this argument with his mother where uh, the boy was saying it should be read in chronological order and his mum was saying, no, it should be read in publication order. Um, and apparently they got into quite a heated dispute about this. As, as you can imagine, like an 11-year-old boy and his mother having about a trivial matter like this, mm. like... I, I have definitely, this is, I can 100% see me being this 11-year-old boy and my mum being the mother. Um, not necessarily over Narnia, but I mean, we could say it's my dad, right? Because it's the, it's the, that's the, my story is that he read the Narnia to me, right? Um, yeah. And this, this is, but this 11-year-old kid, credit to him, obviously says, sod it. Um, like, uh, I'm going to write to C.S. Lewis and I'm going to see what the right answer is. Um, and there's this letter that he responds to where he says that he thinks he agrees more with the boy than the mother, but the series wasn't planned beforehand. And this is the exact phrase. So perhaps it does not matter very much what order in which people read them. So C.S. Lewis was basically like, so, and he kind of, sort of says at one point in the letter, oh, I think it should be chronological. And the other time in the letter, he says, oh, it doesn't matter what order you read them in. And, and, and basically all these academics like have been analyzing and reanalyzing this letter and just debating over its meaning. And apparently like you have like these professors of literature being like, no, you're a dumbass. This is what C.S. Lewis meant in this letter he wrote to an 11 year old boy in 1957. Um, and it's just like this, like this complete, like bonkers, like uh, unnecessary fight over a rather trivial manner. Yeah, I can see which that. Is, which is, um, but that was the thing I did find fascinating is that he he wrote them as standalone books happening in this world, and then eventually just tied them together. Which is unlike when you think about things like the Avengers films, or like for example, where like you think they're standalone, and then it's like. Aha, actually, we've been planning this for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I am um, like, I'm going to go back to this reading order because I can actually, um, there's actually only two differences between the order, really. And that's whether, oh. uh, 
whether you read The Horse and His Boy between The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Prince Caspian and whether Magician's <laughs> Nephew goes first or as the penultimate book. And every and the other four are, are in are in the right order. So The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, um, Prince Caspian's that. a sequel to that, but whether you yeah. read The Horse and the Boy in between or not. And then The Voyage of the Dawn Treader follows on from Prince Caspian and The Silver Chair follows on from The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So there's only two differences between the order. Um, the reason I don't actually like The Horse and His Boy between The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and Prince Caspian is because The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe finishes back in the real world, whereas The Horse and His Boy takes place at the end of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe before they come back through the, the wardrobe. So it doesn't actually make oh. much sense to read it after you finish The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe because then you're actually going back. You know what I mean? That's really <laughs> you really want to read I... it in chronological order. You should read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And then before you read the final bit, you should <laughs> read <laughs> The Horse and His Boy. And then you should <laughs> finish that little chat. I don't know. That just seems a bit strange to me. Like it's it's pretty much a standalone spin-off book if that I just happens honest, to have some characters. I'm going to say that The Horse and His Boy is the least memorable of the seven books. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but it's very, it's like the the Pevensies. The Pevensies? That's their name. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds close enough. The Pe- Pevensies are like cameos almost. You know what I mean? They just, they're just they just there, but they're not like main characters at all. So uh, it's more like a, a side story, I would say. Yeah. Um, and then, See, then yeah, yeah so I think kind it, like, it kind of makes like, more... Oh, I can make a bit of money, more money out of this. Yeah, and it kind of makes more sense for like the line the prince caspian to follow directly from the line the witch in the wardrobe because it's the same four characters and um like that's really the sequel to their story whereas the horse and his boy doesn't really have much to do with them so i think it kind of it's it's a bit of a distraction from the the, the overarching story of the pevensies almost yeah. um so that's book 5 and then book 6 um like i think reading about the origin of Narnia just has more of an impact when you're familiar with Narnia. Like, because otherwise you don't understand who the Wicked Witch is, the the Winter Witch or whatever she's called. You don't know who Aslan is. Mm. Um, whereas if you read this as the sixth book, you already have all that context and you the know why witch. this is such a big deal. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's kind of like if you read The Magician's Nephew first, you're kind of like you're only really going to enjoy it if you're like, I am about to go sit down and power through all these books. Tell you what, uh, you've kind of sold me on next time I read it, doing it in publication order rather than uh, chronological order. Yeah, like I think the like they probably reveal different things. Like I think it would probably be interesting to read magician's nephew first and then follow on from that um but i think it's a bit like the star wars orders you know what i mean do you know the differences in star wars orders well isn't there there's the episodes four five and six and then the prequels one two and three were released and then seven eight nine i've only seen four five six seven eight nine yeah oh but isn't there like that some people watch like is so you could watch them as four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine, which is release order, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But isn't there also a thing where some people watch like four, five, one, two, three, six, seven, eight, nine, something like that? Yeah, that's how. That's like my 
kind of preferred watching order if I was going to show it to someone who had never seen Star Wars before. So what's your preferred watching order? Four, five, one, two, three, six, seven, eight, nine. And what you have there is you still get the big reveal in episode five of who Darth Vader is. And then you've kind of got a flashback to the fall of the Republic and how it became the Empire. And then you go into like, um, and that way you preserve the big reveal in episode three about who the Emperor is. And then you go into episode six with all that backstory. And so it has more impact with um, Vader's uh culmination of his story arc um and so that's kind of like what uh my point of of this was that's kind of similar to reading the magician's nephew as the sixth book is that you have all that backstory and then you have that uh initial story before you go into the final climax of the overarching plot yeah because the advantage that has over the release order as well right is because because one could argue why not watch you get a similar effect with, like, the meaning of episodes one, two, and three uh, you get if you've seen four, five, and six beforehand. But I like the idea of holding off on six because what you do by doing four, five, one, two, three, then six is that you generate a gap between episodes five and six. Um, and one of the things is that, uh, like, the end of episode five is a big cliffhanger, right? Yeah. Um, like, you know, Luke's just lost his hand, he finds out Darth Vader is his father, what are the other spoilers we can throw on the podcast for listeners who haven't seen it? Han <laughs> uh, Solo is thrown in that um, not carbonite, um, carbonite, um, like, and because the whole thing is that, like, if you watch six immediately after five, which is what I did, is that it kind of undercuts the impact of those cliffhangers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like that, uh, and so, like, if you watch one, two, three between them, the cliffhanger is still like. If you're watching it for the first time, yeah, the cliffhanger is there. Like, you're wanting to rewatch it. Yeah, it's a, it's the same with like when you think about what Marvel did with um, Infinity War and Endgame. Um, there's Ant Man oh and the God. Wasp and Captain Marvel between those two films, so that you've you're still holding on to that cliffhanger with another two films before you actually watch the the ending. But imagine if you're, um, because Ant Man and the Wasp takes place before Infinity War, hey? Uh, um, yes, takes place two weeks before Infinity War. So, in 10 years' time, right, people might be watching the, Aven- the Avengers films in chronological order, and they'll like, they'll watch Ant Man and the Wasp first, and then Infinity War, and like, it just will completely undercut any of the like tension that we had waiting two years between a year between Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people already do that. Like, people are like, oh, like, you know, you watch Captain America first and then, um, you know, like that chronological order. And it's kind of, I don't know, like, I think, uh, like, you can. And again, I think it, it would be interesting, but I don't know. Uh, I think there's, there is something to be said for, you know, preserving those um, interfilm relationships that, you know, they were released and they often have the teaser for something else that's happening at the same time in the universe and that kind of thing. I like that once again. I like, well, I like how that like with the Dune discussion, we kind of like wound up at almost like a thesis instead of like, this is what we reckon like our point is. <laughs> and I like how we said like 10 minutes ago, I was like, 
Josh, have a strong opinion on Narnia, and you've ended up without meaning to convincing me of something to do with Narnia, even though it was something I didn't really have an opinion on. There you go. There you go. Well played. Any universities want to hire me, uh, I'll end all your arguments about Narnia. Yeah. Uh, all right. It's time for the, the weekly word. The weekly word? Um, I'm just going to oh, get boy, it up. Oh, boy. I'm so excited for the weekly word. That's awful. Please stop. Um, You're getting the weekly dude. It's one word. How much? It is. It is. I've just. I've just. Um. I just, I just want to get the. I want to get the computer to pronounce it. So because... I'm, I'm leaving this in here just to shame you for your disorganization on one oui. single word. What? Ennui. I just wanted ennui. to make sure that I had the right pronunciation. The weekly word is ennui. Ennui which was in June. And I chose this as the weekly word because um, the meaning has is very relevant for today when we're recording this. As in, is it relevant to the content we've discussed or the relevant to something that's happened today between you and I, or like something that's like, no, something that's happened in the world today that, in my world today something has happened in your world today here i'll i'll shall i just give the the definition i'll 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 guess uh the horrible feeling when you find out that you uh you're actually a parent i'm a parent (laughs) what josh got someone pregnant what (laughs) no no um Okay, good. I'm, I, okay, I'm now relieved that Josh hasn't gotten someone pregnant. So whatever the meaning is, it's better than that. Um, ennui is a feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement. Um, it's a sense of boredom. And the reason I chose it today is because uh, where I live, the ACT is going into another four weeks of lockdown, which may mean that I have a very strong sense of ennui in the coming weeks. <laughs> Ah, ah, that's that's fair. Okay, okay. So it's not a meme meaning. Yeah, it's, it's actually a serious meaning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a kind of serious in a ha ha ha. You might you might way. be faced with some ennui. Well, Josh, do you want to edit a podcast? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that can be your ennui. What's the language of origin of ennui? All right, is it so French? ennui is. Uh, came from Latin, from the phrase mihi in odio est, which I've probably butchered the pronunciation of there, which translates roughly to, it is hateful to me. Um, and then so that for context, came down Josh, to I would have forgiven you. I would have forgiven you for taking your time to set up if you also had something pronouncing how that Latin was sent. Uh, and then that Latin went into French, which is where we get ennui today. Yeah, it sounds like a, it sounds like a French word. Uh, I have to guess the spelling of it now, don't I? Yep. I'm going to go real simple. So it's French, so we is going to be spelled O-U-I. So I'm going to reckon the, the whole word will be... Uh, and then in like on, like, uh, it's not going to be spelled with an O. It's going to be spelled with like an E or an U. I think it's going to be spelled with an E. I reckon it's going to be E-N-O-U-I. Oh, so close. So close. It's E-N-N-U-I. Oh, 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 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it though. Given that like I don't speak French, although I'm like an eighth French because of like a grandmother or something like that, like I'm pretty impressed that I almost just pulled out of my ass. Yeah, that was it was pretty it was it was pretty impressive. Ennui, E N N U I. Yeah. Ennui. Uh huh. Ennui, the feeling of frustration at being bored. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you have anything to, no, Josh, you know, you know what, you know what, you know what you should do if you start feeling a feeling of ennui. Uh, send in a voicemail to the podcast. Oh, I was going to say play chicken run the video game. Oh yeah, you should. You could also do that. But yeah, if you listeners, if you're feeling a feeling of ennui, maybe send us an email and be like, uh, or a voice message, be like, dear ennui and dear white noise, I've got a feeling of ennui. Here is where I physically am at the moment. I'm standing looking out on Lake Burley Griffin. So we're uh, just stealing the Hamish and Andy podcast right now. Josh, I hate to break it to you. Our entire podcast is stealing the Hamish and Andy podcast. That's true. That's true. <laughs> In fact, I've, been, I've started listening to another podcast lately, uh, which is called You're Dead to Me. And it's this history podcast that I've really enjoyed listening to. And there was a couple of times where, oh, I'm going to surprise you with a segment based on something to do with that podcast. Um, but I was like, but I mean, I'm going to argue about it. It's like, how can I do this segment, which isn't just me ripping off another podcast, um, which I will figure out. But I, I think we can be pretty shameless in admitting that we are heavily inspired by other works. Yeah. I mean, uh, good artists imitate, great artists steal. And on that note, I don't actually know how long we've been running for, Josh. I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly check the the time. Uh, it's been um, I think we've been going for about. It's been about an hour. Uh, yeah, because you sent me a photo of me with my Narnia book about an hour ago. Let's call it there. Uh, it's been lovely speaking to you this week, Josh, and it's been lovely speaking to you, listeners. Oat. Oat. <laughs>